were and they're so high energy and they're so excited and you're like, yes, this person's gonna be a rock solve all my problems here. Yeah, and then they just shit the bed. Because from my experience, if someone's a shit show the first like few days, it, it's, I've never seen that sinking ship unsink itself. I set the pace for the entire company. So of course they're excited to give more. Same thing with our clients who are doing like 100, 150, 200K a month. The leader sets the standard and then the setters are excited and they want to push and they want to go to the next level because the environment facilitates them. Welcome to another episode of the Physically Jacked Financially Stacked podcast. Today we're in for an absolute treat. So we have got Natasha Storm from TVAC. She specializes in running high-end setting teams. And if you don't know what call setter is, it's essentially someone who's gonna um, manage your conversations and then book and um, calls for prospective clients. And we work with a variety of um, different businesses all over the world. We also have a call center with some of Natasha's clients who are crushing it. And I know firsthand how good her knowledge is in this specific niche, which is so critical to a business. So today we're really gonna dive into like a two-part series. So part one will be um, in terms of like hiring and finding the right call setters. And then part two is more gonna be like management and performance optimization. So thank you very much for your time, Natasha. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. I've kind of introduced myself. So like you said, my name is Natasha Storm. I run a company called TVAC. Basically three years ago, I used to be an online fitness coach, um, grew my own business, hired my own setter out of Central America and saw the benefit of being able to get out of the DMs. And I think a lot of coaches when we first start, we have no idea what we're doing. We're sending tons of messages, we're posting content. We sell our first 20 to 30 clients and then we get trapped <laughs> in the inbox and you're in the middle of service delivery while simultaneously trying to bring on new clients. And if you don't do both at the same time, your business doesn't grow. So I was able to hire my own setter at the time. She was setting appointments for me, we worked really closely and then she started being able to pull in 20, 30, 40 K a month new cash from the effort she was doing and I was like, well, is super powerful when you're a business who is going maybe 10 15k a month or place myself out of the dms and then i saw a need in the market i saw a lot of online fitness coaches who were trying to hire setters they would fall off within two to three weeks they weren't a good fit for the job they weren't qualified they weren't being trained and onboarded properly so coaches were still stuck in the dms but they were also now burning and churning through all this talent which was adding an additional 10 15 hours a week of work to their plate that they didn't have and i think sales started to suffer so then they had this brilliant idea to create TVAC, and now here we are three years later. It's uh, funny how things work out. It's like, was it especially adventure's mother of all necessity, like all necessity's mother of all invention, the way around. Um, I think the biggest and most important thing that you guys do that is so important, and we spoke briefly before the podcast about this, that I have no interest in creating people jobs, it's creating people businesses where they're not pressing with buttons, is you give people the ability to have leverage yeah. like with people working for them so they're not the one pressing the buttons yeah um and there's a saying i really like and that's that um rich people don't work they think because if you're running a business you should be thinking about like what's the next thing i need to be doing and like who not how who's the person who can help me get to the next level rather than like you being stuck in the business doing all the busy work which is where i think most fitness coaches tap out at yeah, hundred percent. I also think that everybody, when we first get into business, we get into business because we want to solve people's problems. We're like, I'm super passionate about this, especially in the fitness space. Most of us went through our own physical transformation. It changed our life. Friends and family around us were like, Hey, can you make me a meal plan? <laughs> can you make me a training program? You're super passionate about it. And then when you get bogged down in the operations and like you say, like those golden handcuffs, you start to resent the thing that inspired you to create the business in the first place. And I think 
once you hit like those 20, 30, 40 plus one-to-one clients, there's a lot of areas of your business that you can't focus on, at least with the level of intensity required to continue to grow the business, which is the DMs, call setting. If you don't have leads, you can't book sales calls. And if you can't book sales calls, you can't sign clients. And if you can't sign clients, then you have a really expensive hobby. <laughs> and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. And then they take, they kind of like take their eye off the ball. It's like, well, do I service my clients or do I bring new clients on? And then they, they're split between two things, so they get subpar results. Or they get really good delivery results, but their front-end sales tank. Or they focus solely on this, and then they're just like burning and churning through clients. So with call setters, you're able to bring somebody in and say, hey, can you consistently set sales calls for me? Nurture the leads that I have in my DM so I can still bring new clients in while delivering this incredible experience, and then both roles kind of just feed into one another. And here's an important thing I think people need to think about business and what comes first is most important right people worry about fucking fulfillment and doing more courses and making the greatest program in the world reality is you can have the greatest program in the world but if no one knows about it no one joins it you're wasting your time and this is where I see so many people going down the rabbit hole of thinking like you need to do 10,000 courses on biomechanics and nutrition xyz yes there's relevance to that but the reality is if you don't have any actual clients coming in you've got no one to utilize those skills on which is why content and call setting and sales ability at the beginning yeah. is always what has to be the most important tool and I, I get some flack sometimes because other mentors will say that sales isn't important and like the reality of what we look at what we do these people we help are fat for a reason that they find it difficult to commit to this so you have to have sales skills to persuade them to actually change their own lives which is a good thing because your skill and ability to do that is going to change their life and their family's lives which is where most people think sales is a dirty word in particular coming from like the UK yeah. like American Canada is much more sales orientated and I think that's why having a really good call setting team like yours or whoever it might be makes a big big difference yeah it's interesting you say that like when I first started very similar position I didn't want to promote like, I didn't want to say, like, hey, I can help you. I can add value. I used to struggle to sell a $27 a month program like because I just didn't feel good. And I think a lot of coaches get stuck in that. So they don't believe in selling. So they won't put themselves out there. They won't create content that creates visibility, asking, like, giving value, and then asking and then setting those sales calls. So this concept of sales is a dirty word. You should focus on acquiring certifications, more courses, get better at the delivery you end up just staying stuck. You're resentful. You can't even get the thing off the ground to acquire the belief in your product and service because you're not willing to go through the discomfort of promoting it. Like you said, helping people. Man, you're going to suck <laughs> Like for the first couple of years of your business and going through the rejection of putting out content, creating visibility, uh, getting rejected in the DMs. I think a lot of people don't send out messages because well, I don't want to slide into someone's inbox and it feels spammy and gross to do that. And you know, what if they feel like I'm intruding on them but when you're putting out content consistently, when you're living proof that what you, you practice, what you preach, uh, people are want to hear from you. If you slid into someone's inbox right now, they'd be like, Oh my God, Charlie Johnson is talking to me. If you sent a voice note, because we have this perception that it's wrong to do that, but it also keeps us stuck. How can you help someone transform their body if you're not even willing to ask them what they're struggling with in the first place? And something I'm a really big believer in is like, you don't ask, you don't get. Mm. And the reality is that, okay, you knock on 100 doors, 99 might reject you, but then one will say yes. Yes. So to some degree, it's a volume game. And I 
Funny you said that about the rejection things. I think I spoke with the client a couple of days ago and he was really struggling with that aspect of people saying no and he's not used to it. And I was like, well, welcome to the real world. It's like the reality, if you look like at the, the buyer's pyramid or sales funnel, like there's probably a very small percentage of people actually ready to buy right now. The rest are in like the sort of um, discovery phase of finding out more about you or they're not quite ready yet. And even having that initial conversation, you're still starting to move them through that sales process. Yeah. And I know one of the things that your team does very well is like, um, so do our courses, is like providing value and like giving free guides and like yes. just giving genuine help because that law of reciprocity that when you give something to someone that the chances are like they'll utilize that thing and then come back, which is why I talk a lot about content. The key thing is like um, creating content which is educational yet has utility. So like you teach something someone can try and they try it like, holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah. That's when that person has a positive feedback to you and then it's gonna be more likely to come to you for your services. Yeah, absolutely. I'm huge on give, 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 and then it'll just come. <laughs> like, I don't even think sometimes when we do a good job at articulating the value, making it actionable, actionable, making it tangible, you don't even have to ask. People just flock to you because they feel a sense of trust. They find that you're credible. They're excited to consume your content because every time I pull up your page, you're giving me something that speaks directly to me. You understand my needs without me even having to articulate them to you. And you're solving my problems for free. If I get this for free from you, what is your paid program going to be like? And then people show up to sales calls, credit card in hand. Mm. Take my money. <laughs> I um, want to get started. And that's where if you, I think it was Grant Cardone saying, I think I heard him say once, it was like, you want to be a billionaire, help a billion people. Because mm. eventually, if you help someone enough, they're going to buy something from you at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people get stuck because they're like, if I give too much away, then this person will not invest in my program. Like, I'll basically solve all of their problems for them, and then they will not have, they won't need to invest in my program. But we give away the information, and we sell the implementation. Like you could give somebody the best training program ever and the nutrition plan and customized macros. And if they're not in a community that encourages and supports that growth and change, they're not going to fucking do anything with it. How many failed diet attempts are there out in the world? But then also the thing we have now in the world is an overload of information, but a lack of ability to execute because people don't know what to execute or how or being held accountable to it. Yeah. Um, that being said, coming into call setters, I think we've talked about the importance of why you'd have them. Where, because I think a lot of people are almost like scared to like hire people and bring them into like their inboxes, people are gonna steal my Instagram account or whatever. What would you say is the first port of call um, when going into that process? Yeah, so I think the fear, like if I zoom out and look at it, it's like Instagram is my biggest asset. I've spent all this time and energy building my following. I have all this attention. This is where I get my sales. Holy shit. I don't want to give it to somebody else. I think that comes down to vetting the person before you get there. I think part of that shows up in your hiring process. So what's the language you're using? It's no different than making a direct call to action. This is who I'm looking for. This is who we're not looking for. Making it like really clear and concise who that person is, I think weeds out a lot of people. Second, the interview questions is this person integral? What is their past job history? How long were they at their last employer? Are they a frequent flyer jumping somewhere every three months? Well, that tells me that you're a bit flaky. Probably not gonna give you my Instagram account. I think it's people's ability to zoom out and I have this saying at TVAC, it's like, I'm unimpressed until proven otherwise. 
because I think we get swayed a lot by people. We meet them and they're an incredible interviewer and they're so high energy and they're so excited and you're like, yes, this person's going to be a rock solve all my problems here. Yeah. And then they just shit the bed. And you're like, whoa. And you got sold. So I have this saying when interviewing, it's I'm unimpressed until proven otherwise. I'm also unimpressed with clients until proven otherwise. I've seen a lot of people come in with like huge followings being like, uh, there's a potential to make a lot of money. And, and, they, like, and they talk a good game, right? Yeah, and you're, yeah. you're like, you're so not ready for any of this. So how do you avoid, how do you minimize the risk of hiring the wrong person? You are unimpressed until proven otherwise, is step number one. Step number two, it's asking questions and reading between the lines. I like to think of it like going on a date. You go on a first date with somebody, and it's like, hey, what are you looking for? It's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, I'm just testing the waters. Like if I meet someone and it's good, then I'll commit and we'll see. That person is telling on themselves. If you're looking for a committed relationship, red flag number one, thank you so much for coffee. It's been incredible. Peace the fuck out. <laughs> and you move on because you're listening to what that person is telling you. It's no different in an interview. Tell me about your last job. What was your favorite thing about the last place you worked at? Oh, I loved the freedom. I loved that I was able to do whatever I wanted, whenever, and I had all this flexibility. And you're like, okay, well, I'm looking for call setters who- Very structured. <laughs> yeah, intense KPIs. You gotta hit the SOPs that we have in place. Like it's very regimented. Probably not gonna be a good fit. Or what was your biggest disconnect at the last place? Why did you leave your last job? Oh, I felt my boss was passive aggressive. They were always breathing down my neck. Most bosses don't breathe down people's necks or want to micromanage them if they trust them. That would be something to be curious about. So I think it's asking questions that are expansive and then reading between the lines and being unimpressed until proven otherwise. And there's some quality people out there. And when you say, you know, maybe some of, what's your biggest flaws? I'm a perfectionist. I struggle sometimes I'm like really OCD and I'm meticulous about stuff it's like sweet I can work with that <laughs> like you're gonna fill in all of your trackers on time you're gonna be super anal retentive about what you do you might get a little intense if you go zero for 12 <laughs> like no yeah. <laughs> and we might have to talk the rejection you off the issue, ledge. Right? Yeah. yeah but the the metrics like you're somebody I can trust based on kind of patterns of behavior so I think people tell on themselves a lot and we just don't listen Something you said there, which is that came to my head straight away, was about being sold on interviews because I've definitely had that before. And also, a huge lesson I've learned, and I, work, I actually learned it from reading the book, um, Working Backwards, is about how Amazon was set up. And it's like when you have a team of people, it's like, because this was what was happening maybe 18 months ago. I'd interview someone, I'd be like, this person's fucking amazing. And then everyone else who's interviewing them obviously thinks they're fucking amazing as well because I've said it, so they believe it's, they've got cognitive bias, right? So like the thing we now brought in is like no one's allowed to talk to anyone until everyone's spoken to them independently to then make a decision because otherwise if you say to me that Sam down the road is like the best call setter since sliced bread, I'm gonna have that preconceived idea before I even speak to him and I'm gonna believe everything he says straight away and get sold on it. Yes. And I think this is a huge lesson that I've learned and these things come with experience but the quicker you can learn these things or listen to this the quicker you can not make huge mistakes sometimes. Yes, I we literally made that mistake maybe a couple months ago in TVAC. There was a girl, we have like our own marketing funnel for talent. So this girl came in, she was rejected in the interview process and we have a tight filter system, like 12 step process. It's, it's, it's like Harvard for trying to get setters. And she came in and our recruitment officer was like, 
Something about her just rubs me the wrong way. So she bypassed everybody. I had no idea who she was because the recruiter's down here and I'm like way over here in terms of our kind of like structure in the system. She sends me a message on Instagram. I want to work for your company. I love your guys' vision and what you stand for. And just sells the fuck out of me in the DMs. It's a good outbound message though. Oh, <laughs> totally. Slate even sent me a voice note to like show me her energy. And I'm like, why didn't we give this girl a chance? And everybody on the team was like, we don't want to hire her. But nobody said anything because I'm the owner. Oh, well, we should give this girl a chance, even though everybody else would have said no. But because she came to me and I was like, no, hire her anyways. Bring her in. Fucking dud. So similar lesson learned. I was like moving forward. But this is interesting. And I think it's a good thing to note on the show. She bypassed our recruitment officer our entire recruitment process, our hiring process, you got rejected and you bypassed everybody and went to the owner of the company to sell them that you needed a job. Hindsight 2020, what that tells me is you have zero respect for authority. Didn't see it in the moment. And then it's not gonna work in a structured organized organization, right? Correct, because in our structure we have clients, setters, CSMs, their department manager, a general manager, and then me. So if you're talking to me, like there's an issue somewhere in the chain of command, right? Um, but for you to bypass that and go right to the top to be like, sell me and give me this job, unimpressed until proven otherwise. Hard, it was a good reminder for me. But yeah. that behavior tells on people, right? And we see it all the time and we ignore it. And I think, you know, coming back to your question, it's like, how do you minimize risk? Man, trust your gut. We've all been in a relationship where we look back and we're like, on the third date, <laughs> like it, I knew. <laughs> here's an expression um, I heard actually in the car earlier, and it was uh, jump and the net will appear. Mm. And when you think about it, you're like, oh, I get that. Because like, that's what life is though, because there's no certainty in terms of like your business being successful or mine. Like you start in like, seems like a good idea, so let's fucking, let's run with it and see what happens. Yeah. And um, car instance, I don't even you can really quantify why you get that, but it's an accumulation of experience. And I don't think that's often wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so true. We second guess ourselves. Something I think, regardless of where you're at in your business, it's like, trust yourself. I think people fail because they want your approval. Charlie, should I post this? Charlie, should I do this? What are your thoughts about this? Should I hire this person? Man, make the fucking call. Just make the fucking call. I, and <laughs> and you, you'll figure it out. <laughs> you would see this as well, that the people who are the most decisive are the people who are the most successful because yes. people don't understand not making a decision is actually making a decision. Yes. And the people who don't make the decision are always the ones who I see fail because the people who are decisive, they'll fuck up really badly, yeah. but then moving so fast that they, they catch up the ground where they were going anyway. Yeah. And it's like a momentum and inertia. It's like if you trip over and you're going really fast, you still keep going forwards and you can regather that speed back up. Whereas like most people don't get that initial go because they're worried about even starting the race. 100%. I think if you look at any coaching program, business coaching, uh, even whoever's listening to this with their fitness coaching clients, you have the bottom 10%, you got the 80% in the middle, and then your top 10% of people. I think the math lines up. Your bottom 10, then it's never going to start. Non-starters. Failure to launch. <laughs> You're not getting off the ground. Let's just say it how it is. And then you have your 80% of people where the vast majority are going to sit and then you have your top 10% of people. The top 10% do not need you to make a decision for them. They're like, sick, you just gave me a system. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna implement and I'm gonna get the best results in the program. 
Then you have the bottom 10% that are like fish out of water. They can't do anything. They have no value structure. They won't make a decision. They let people abuse them. They abuse themselves and they just failure to launch. They're the bottom of the totem pole. They're the people that you should fire every quarter off your team and out of your coaching program because they just bring down the group average and they suck the life out of the 80%. And then the 80% that's in the middle is a mix of, I need to acquire the confidence to just be decisive and make decisions. They look up to the top 10% and they're agitated by the bottom. And I think that's where the majority of people live. So when you're listening to this, that also applies with hiring people. You're going to have your top 10% of rock stars. They're like finding a needle in the haystack. You're going to know them. You're going to see them. They're going to come through training. They're going to come through the interview process. You're going to be like, God, you are a legend. <laughs> Just right out the gate. And then you're going to have the people in the interview that show up disheveled. Internet's cutting out. Can't even pronounce your name. Know nothing about the company. And you're just like, why are you here, Omi? And then you have the 80% that's in the gray area. And I think we have to get better at asking expansive questions, seeing people for exactly where they are, not creating narratives or stories about who they could be, being over-impressed, you know, thinking this person's going to be amazing without giving them the opportunity to. But that concept applies with everything. Whoever's listening to this has the bottom 10% in their coaching program. They have the 80% and then they have the 10%. It's an interesting concept. And I think that when we zoom out and we look at it, it makes us better entrepreneurs. It makes us better leaders. Uh, and it just makes us better owners of our business. Here's a perspective for you on hiring setters of staff generally. Have you ever seen, because I don't think I have, and not leading the question, have you ever seen someone start badly and turn out well? Because from my experience, if someone's a shit show the first like few days, it, it's I've never seen that sinking ship unsink itself. Yeah, I think we would have to quantify what starting badly looks like because if somebody is late and it's like a character and like a values flaw, so they show up late, they're disorganized, they go AWOL, yeah, no. Like we call it tofu at our company. It's like terminated on first offense, you're fucking fired. Yeah. <laughs> like there's certain things that you're just out. So that place, no. But we have a setter, his name's Alan. He's been with us for two and a half years. God damn, he was brutal. Like he just, he was so hungry. He was so committed. His English was really good. His written grammar was good, but he struggled. Like he did not get this concept of don't ask questions like a soup Nazi, like ask open-ended questions that allow you to guide the conversation. But we worked with him because every time we gave him feedback, he applied it, change this. Okay, coachable. cool. I'm on it. So he's coachable. Yeah. And he was hungry. He's been with us for two and a half years. He works for one of our top 10% of clients who makes $150,000 a month, new cash sales. Homie did not start there. Homie was terrible. <laughs> and I think that's what coaches struggle with because they hire people, but they don't understand what it takes to train somebody to the level of being a rock star because the majority of people you hire are gonna be in that 80%. He was in that 80%, but we coached him into the top 10%. I think that was a mix of his willingness to apply feedback. He was hungry. There were certain pre-qualifications about him that set him up to be successful, but then also having a leader who worked directly with him one-to-one -one in tandem and was like, I'm gonna make you a fucking rock star. So yeah. depends on what starting as a shit show looks like. If it's a values thing and a blatant disregard for the job, no. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's more where I was going. I think um, saying I like is, is hiring for attitude and training for skill. Yes. Fire. Because like, 
if you have the right person, you can teach them fucking anything, like anything, um, because they're willing to learn. They'll like, you say run through that wall, they'll be like, which way? Like both, like, yeah. and that's when you have that type of person, probably like this Alan dude, he'll do whatever it takes. And you know, as soon as you get someone like that, like you just need to wind this person up and just train them and send them in the right direction. With that, when you have these potential rock stars coming through, how have you found is the best way to train these individuals to get the most out of them? And also, I think a good thing with this is sometimes not burning them out as well, which I think mm. I've seen a lot happen in the past. Yeah. So I think burnout comes from disorganization. So I think that's number one. So as the owner who's listening to this, have your shit together before you bring somebody on. This is the SOP. We have leads. This is our process and how it runs. This is what I'm going to train you on. And I'm going to let you ramp up in that first 45 to 60 days. And we're going to slowly add your competency basically in this company. I think what burns people out is coaches who are neurotic. They're disorganized and they change their process like every third to fourth day because they have no emotional regulation. Ah, this isn't working. So then they just like scrap this whole system and they're like, we're pivoting and we're doing this. And holy shit, think about the person you just brought into your business to learn. You're literally showing them that your leadership is unstable, you are neurotic, you are chaotic, and I have no idea where I'm gonna stand with you the majority of the time. Highly anxious, probably not gonna be that successful. So I think step number one to avoid burnout is calm yourself and calm your systems before you bring somebody else in. Second thing, when it comes to training somebody, it's a segmented approach. Somebody could be a cashier at Walmart and do a really good job and then you bring them to Sobeys and they still need to learn the codes to work at a different location, right? It's still going to take them time to ramp up. So I would say mapping out the first 45 days, what is the first like, what is their journey in your company look like from day number one onboarding all the way to 30, 60, 90 days, six months. If you can map that, even for a coach, not even setters, but just like any role you hire, your churn is gonna be significantly lower and you're gonna see where people fail. Is this a system error? Did I hire the wrong person for the role? You're gonna see where people drop off. It's no different than a client onboarding. So I don't know if that answers the question, but it's being strategic about it. I think when you make the decision to hire somebody on, you need to realize that you are now, you're employing somebody whether they're an independent contractor or not, your mentality needs to shift from I'm a solo entrepreneur to I am a leader and I'm also a trainer and a mentor and I need to have systems in place so we don't burn these people out. With what you mentioned there in terms of when bringing people in, where would you say geographically the best setters are from? Yeah. And then where do you go about hiring them? Yeah, so I love hiring out of Latin America. I We found that the best people, the majority of our company has been based out of Honduras, uh, Venezuela, Guatemala, in that kind of vicinity. Internet's reasonable. Like I would say it's pretty decent for where they are. Countries like Belize is just terrible. Their English is really good. They could do an incredible job, but their ability to be reliable based on internet weeds them out. So I think there's a couple factors to take into place. Colombia is another amazing place to recruit talent from. Um, it, their IP addresses also don't flag on social media the same way as hiring out of the Philippines. So you can get away with not using a VPN 
for most accounts out of Latin America, which makes things easier for the business owner, makes things easier for the setter. So location-wise, hiring out of there. Where do you find them? Call center groups. So you can go on Facebook, you can look up Colombian call centers, StarTech call centers, different things like that. You look at the big companies that we have in North America, and then you start hunting for those call center groups on Facebook. That's how we started TVAC. Um, job postings, breezy, LinkedIn. If you can get into like those connections in Latin America, people in Latin America love posting their LinkedIn pages. It's like their resume. <laughs> they get super excited about all the titles. Um, those would be the main places that I would start. Another thing, if you have a friend or a colleague or a peer group and you're in a mastermind, send them a message and say, hey, can I, would it be okay if I connected with your call setter? Would love an opportunity to see if they know anybody who might be interested in a job. I'll kick you back a referral. If you send me somebody, I'll give you 50 bucks US if they make it and they get hired. You throw it to 150, they're gonna start pre-qualifying people for you <laughs> in the background before they pass you off, which is something we used to do as a company. We used to run these like massive internal raffle draws. I would give away iPhones, I would give away trips, I would give away just like these big things for internally for our company. And on top of that, they would get $125 commission for whoever got hired that they brought on. They started vetting people, they started making job postings, they started screening them for English. They were bringing me top talent because they wanted to win, so we gamified it. So I think those are a couple ideas of what people could do. Uh, it's kind of creative and it's outside the box, but that might be more effective to run a referral system with somebody they know versus sifting through thousands, hundreds of applications in these call center groups. Do you have any other preferences as why you choose South America over like Philippines, Pakistan, other areas like that? Yeah, um, I love the culture. They're very family orientated. So I feel that when they come into a business, they're very much like, I want to be part of something. I want to help grow something. Um, like, I don't wanna say pricing, but like wage wise in Central America, they get paid $500 a month base salary working in a call center, 12, 14 hour days, leaving their families. So they're looking for remote work. They understand the value of if I could do this and make more money working from home, they're very bought into that. It's easy to pay them uh, in terms of PayPal, Veeam, Gusto, depending on where you are in the world. Family orientated, they're bought into the mission. Their English is pretty good. Uh, and time zone. I don't have to fuck around, hoping to God that you show up for your shift. If my business is in North America, we're in one to two time zone difference away from one another. So that's primarily why we go out of Latin America. We tried the Philippines. We've had three people total who have ever worked for us from the Philippines. We just didn't have good experiences. But the majority of our clientele is based in this time zone. So that's why we prefer it. And I think it's really important to find people who culturally want to be a part of something. I think when we look at hiring setters, it's like, you're gonna run my DMs, you're gonna set calls for me, but you want someone to come into your business and be like, oh, I give a shit. You're proud to be these, there, right? Yeah, like, it's a badge of honor to talk to these leads. Like, I talked to this girl, and you sold her on the call, and you just showed me that she had a 40 pound weight loss transformation. I am now, as the setter, way more inspired to go back into the DMs and create more opportunities for people. 
And that's something we see a lot in TVAC. Like our retention for setters is incredible. They're so bought into the vision of what we do and they get so excited because where they come from, they're forced to do unethical jobs to make money. In order for me to take care of my family and my children, I have to go to a job that I hate, that doesn't treat me good, where I do illegal things that I do not agree with. So to work from home, make double the money, and I get to change people's lives, holy fuck, all in, fully committed. They're ready to do it. Do you ever try and take, or do you have any, um, see any disadvantage of having third world call centers versus first world call centers, say from the US, Europe? Because actually, ironically, some of the ones we've had from first world countries have been more problematic and more demanding than the ones from the third world countries, like more entitled. Yes, that. <laughs> I think that there's two parts to it. One, you are a small business. When you're first getting started, you do not have the margin to pay North American wages. The role of a call setter, I believe, needs to be full-time. Plugging somebody in there for two hours a day. Pissing into the wind. Exactly, yeah. useless to me. You would be better off to just not hire for it, period, because you'd be less grumpy about spending the money. So you need full-time in that role. You cannot afford to do that in North America because nobody will work full-time hours, like 30 to 40 hours a week for a base salary of $650. So I think from a, a small business margin standpoint, it makes sense to hire out of North America. I also think, like you said, entitlement. They're making $500 a month in a call center, working jobs they hate, that they don't wanna be at, and they just wanna take care of their families. Like that's what they give a shit about. That's what they value. These women, and the majority of our setters have been women based out of Latin America. They are moms who want to take care of their babies. They want to make an impact. They are well educated. They have degrees. They are well studied, but they have no means to take care of their family. And then they come in to work for your business where you're changing all these people's lives. They're able to make 1500, 2K a month and take care of their babies at home. Entitlement is not an issue. They will outwork anybody in North America. I think something to note that's interesting though that we see in our company over the last three years is some of our setters have cared more about the success of their coach's business than the coach has because they wanna win. They get paid based on performance, right? And it's been an interesting dynamic to see. Coaches think they're hungry until you plug in a setter that's part of that top 10% and they're like, I am here to make money for my family. <laughs> I am here to pay off my debt. Like, I want this company to grow. I want more leads. I want more content. I want you to play at a higher level because if you get me more of that, then I can, we can change more people's lives. But ultimately, I want to make more money too. And it's been an interesting dynamic to see. I think that's an interesting thing because I think a lot of coaches get pretty lazy. Oh. Like they get to <laughs> 15, 20K a month and then they've got a cool set and they just kick back and yeah. sit by the pool drinking margaritas and the fucking beats business collapses 12 weeks later. And I see that happen a lot. And it's, um, I've always had a slight paranoia of failure of things going wrong. So like every day to me, like the clock goes back to zero of like how much money do I need to make today? Yeah. And I think when people have that thought process that keeps them like, not um, living on previous successes, which is, I think is a big mistake. And if, if your core set is holding you to your own standard, that's the real issue, like they're setting the standard. It's interesting, because like that is like a real cultural thing that we have seen inside TVAC. And 
when we first started the company, like we had really no idea what we were doing, like any business does. We just wanted to win, wanted to succeed as bad as we wanted to breathe. So we would do everything. We would give people feedback on their content. We would say, do this. We were training the setters. We were running script drills at like four in the morning to make these people better. But we were outperforming our clients, which caused a disconnect. Because you're the, pushing them more than they want to go, right? Yes. Yeah. And then it was like, your front end can't keep up with what we want or need in the DMs. And coaches do get lazy. I want to post once, one time, five times a week. And I want all these organic leads to come in. And I don't want to spend any money on ads. But you're, I'm going to hire you to generate me leads and sales calls. Uh, and I'm so sorry I was 15 minutes late for our team meeting. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, if you didn't have that setter in place, you would never do that. They get complacent. And then there's almost a sense of entitlement from the owner that's like, well, I hired you to be my call setter, so why aren't calls being booked? It's like, well, you're not generating the opportunity for us to have conversations with the right ideal clients from the marketing and content you're putting out. And like you said, I just, I'm in a rant, but how can you, I could not imagine hiring a setter for my business and then letting them assume all the responsibility for the new cash sales coming in. I hired you to replace me out of this role and now you get to be responsible for 100% of the new cash sales. And then when we are not making it, I'm going to fire you because I'm upset with you. Homie, that's not their job. Their job is to have conversations with the leads that you are generating from your paid or organic efforts nurture those people and funnel them to sales opportunities. You're responsible for the marketing and figuring out either you're closing the phone calls or you have a phone closer who's doing it for you and the setter is responsible for the middle part. And they're responsible for communicating to you what they see in the DM so you can improve your marketing and content so you guys can attract more ideal people. Or tell the phone closers what they're seeing in the DMs prior to the call to set up the closer. And people don't do that. They're so lazy. I hired a setter. Here's all my leads. Here's my whole business. Please run it and scale it for me. And I'm going to drink margaritas on the beach. And I think that's just an example of, like, when you think about that as fundamental fundamental, like stupidity, you're giving a, <laughs> like, Venezuelan VA your entire, like, income. Like, and I probably say even from experience that the biggest mistakes I've made is, not checking in enough of what people are doing at the start and it's like three months later you're like fuck like, I should have dealt with this like I presume like don't ever presume like like presume nothing like double check and like just have a look what's going on sometimes until yeah. things are dialed in and I think that's a big mistake where people go really yeah but they lose sight of it because think of a fitness coach so you bring somebody in for weight loss and that coach then says or that client is now you are responsible for 100% of my results that's impossible. I don't live in your house. I don't spoon feed you like a child with baby food. Like you can't put that level of responsibility on somebody else. And a fitness coach would never allow their client to do that. They would say, uh, no, you need to run the plan. You need to track your shit in my fitness pal. You need to actually go to the gym. Why are you eating donuts for breakfast? Like that's why you're not getting results, but yet they do it with setters. Okay, here you are in this role. I'm delegating this to you and then they lose all their responsibility. Our best clients at TVAC like consistently pull anywhere from 50 to 100K a month new cash. That's not renewals, it's not upsells, it's not subscriptions, new business. They're an active participant in that process with us 
and they're like, this is what we're doing for marketing. Hey, I just turned on ads. Can you give us feedback on the quality of leads that are coming into the system? And we run the setter teams. Are you having enough outbound? Where, maybe where are we missing something in the script? Hey, can we tweak this in the form? So there's so much active feedback between the marketer, the setter, and the closer. And then we have active communication with all the phone closers. Hey, I just got off a call with Joanne. Um, I don't know how she slipped through the crack. She wasn't financially qualified. Can we tweak this in the system? Yep, bet, we'll go and work on this. But there's three parties who all work in unison. It doesn't just say, hey, here, we'll pass it off. And then I think people see some of the results that we get at TVAC and they're like, holy shit, I want that. It's like, yeah, but you have to participate in your own business in order to get those those results. You can't just outsource that to somebody. It's funny you say that because I often feel that we want success more than the client does. Mm-hmm. So I feel that too. And it's <laughs> often it's because um, you know and I know what's possible with only like, you give an extra 10% in effort, you get like a 50% more reward. But the people aren't willing to put in that 10% because they, they don't see behind the curtain of like, this is what happens when you put a little bit more attention to like managing your team, um, training them better, making sure you have the right people in the first place and actually doing your part of the system, like you said, yeah. and then how that can really build up and compound over a period of time. Yeah, and the crazy thing is when you give that 10% more effort, your team gives 10% more because they get excited. And they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna go get better because leadership comes from the top down. You set the standard, right? Yeah, and then everyone below you follows it. Like my team, my core team, operations team, they show up every day and work their ass off. Well, so do I. I set the pace for the entire company. So of course they're excited to give more. Same thing with our clients who are doing like 100, 150, 200K a month. The leader sets the standard and then the setters are excited and they want to push and they want to go to the next level because the environment facilitates that. Most people don't create that. They have no vision, they have no values, they have no, this is where the company's going in the next six to 12 months. So what the fuck are we working so hard for? But you better get in there and book mm. me 10 to 15 calls a week. And then there's no incentive for, the, for them to do well either. With. With that being said, how have you found is the best way to optimize paying call setters? Mm, mm-hmm. So we do base salary. Okay. So six fifty a month. I think that's solid. It's enough to incentivize somebody to leave a secure, permanent position in a call center. And then we have a commission structure. So depending on what a business, their pricing models, margins, what they operate at, you can go zero to just under 5K a month, no commission. You have to unlock 5K, new cash collected, in order to hit that first tier commission money, which for us, we run it at 2%. So you hit 5K of new cash collected, you get 2% commission off that 5K. Then to unlock 4%, you have to hit $10,000 of new cash sales. So it's like dangling a carrot. The 650 base covers full-time hours. That person's working 40 hours a week, full-time invested, and then they unlock that 4%, and then it caps at that. So if they sold, if they helped bring in $20,000 of new cash sales, the most you'd pay out is $1,450, which is peanuts to not have to live in your DMs and have somebody set all of your calls and be highly engaged and competitive to do it. And on the setter's end, they're like, this is holy shit money. I'm not going anywhere, given the leader is leading and has a vision for where they're going. One of the big things that we, I've started to do now, when depending on where the person's coming from, is it's like Google, 
average salary in Pakistan, three hundred dollars. I was like, okay, like pay them five hundred, and they're like balling where they're from, plus the commission, and they're super incentivized. And I think yes, this is a big thing that people don't understand is they end up paying basic salaries to call setters is like fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars. Yeah, no. Yet they actually only really need five hundred to live. So it's like how incentivized are they to actually really perform because they don't need it. Correct. Instead you should have a base of just above what they're getting in their home country. Just enough is, to survive, right? Yes. And then you incentivize them with a comp structure where it's like I could make fifteen hundred here. I could make two K a month here. And then that drives results. I'm huge on the business owner gets paid based on the results they produce. I'm real big on everybody in the company. I agree. <laughs> performance related though, because more yeah. more businesses are performance orientated, the better the business performs. Yes. I also think, and this is like bigger picture depending on where you're at in your business, but how can you incentivize people with even a yearly bonus based on performance? And that could be one month of your salary or three months of your salary that gets paid as a yearly bonus but that bonus is split into maybe personal development. I need you to be a little less anxious. <laughs> so I'm gonna get you to do training and courses to do that. Um, maybe it's a revenue target. If we as a company hit our revenue target for the year, like that equates to whatever little percentage of your yearly bonus. And then whatever skill gap you want them to develop. So not only are they making, not only are they incentivized month over month to get better, but now they're thinking in a 12 month picture of who do I have to become that ties into the growth of the company? Well, if we want to make a million dollars this year as a fitness coach, and this team member could benefit from helping us hit a million dollars, and they got, I don't know, $2,000 bonus at the end of the year for doing it as a setter role, I think it's fair to say that they would communicate a little more actively what they're seeing in the DMs to improve marketing or whatever that structure is, right? That you're trying to incentivize. So it's shifting from being uh, an operator to an owner. You want people on your team to want to grow the company and help reach the company goals for the year, not just four week sales cycles. And I think the more you can get your employees to look at extended time horizons the better they perform yes i think when you can get a business owner to look at extended time horizons the better they perform also it, it's just human nature bigger picture you're willing to go through more you're willing to study harder you're willing to acquire the skills and that's as much for the leader as it is for the call setting team or the phone closers 100 um we'll wrap up on this first part of the episode we'll go into the next one in terms of management and how to really optimize performance Thank you very much for your time, Natasha. Where's the best place for everyone else to find out more about you? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at NatashaStorm underscore. Um, that's the best place to track me down. Awesome. If you took a load of value from this, make sure you smash the like button and share it with someone who really needs to improve their call setting and build their business. And make sure you check out episode number two coming up shortly.